Well, in uh, April of 2009, my wife and I boarded a plane uh, at Dulles Airport to our destination, which happened to be Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And we had spent the last, I don't know, two years trudging slowly through the process of adopting a little girl from the beautiful country of Ethiopia. We had done paperwork and fingerprints and more paperwork and passports, more paperwork, home studies, more paperwork, waiting, more waiting, then more waiting. We waited for about 11 months before we finally received our referral in early 2009 and started to make plans to pick up our little girl in Ethiopia. And it just so happened that we landed in Ethiopia on Palm Sunday. And since our biological clocks were definitely not in sync with the time zone in Ethiopia, uh, uh, one of our guides said, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a hike. We're going to hike one of the peaks in Adis. You'll be able to see the whole city from up there. And so uh, our travel group, which was filled with families who were also there to adopt, we all headed up this hill to, uh, to see the city. And, and since it was Palm Sunday, we noticed that there were people everywhere and they had palm fronds like intricately woven around their heads in all sorts of different ways. And they were celebrating. And then we even encountered a group of young women singing a traditional Palm Sunday hymn as they came down the mountain. This was them uh, singing that song. Do we have that video? Yeah. Next week, Evan is playing the water jug. Yeah, that's... That's going to be our drum section, right? And Ethiopia is considered to have some of the longest-held Christian roots in all of the world, especially in the Middle East and in Africa. It's sustained itself in ways that many places in that region, especially in the Middle East, have not. And though there is a large Muslim community in Ethiopia as well, the Christian community there continues to be an overwhelming majority and presence in its country. Well, 11 days after our arrival in Ethiopia, my wife and I boarded a plane to head back to the States with our girl, Sela. Many of you know her now. She was malnourished. She was suffering from vitamin deficiency, but she was ours. This is her in the bassinet. Aw, yeah, how they change so much. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but here's the thing. Apart from meeting my daughter for the first time, which was uh, indescribable in so many ways, Walking the streets of Addis Ababa on Palm Sunday is etched in my mind forever. It was like the highlight of the trip other than meeting my daughter. Seeing the absolute joy on the faces of those women singing in the streets will be etched in my memory forever. And as we come to our passage today, I am forced to wonder if the experience I had 14 years ago in Ethiopia would ever have occurred had it not been for what happens in Acts chapter 8? Would those women that we saw singing and the millions of other Ethiopian men, women, and children have ever known about Jesus in the way that they do, was it not for this moment in history in the early church? And what's more is this. Could the story we're about to read reveal to us a truth about Jesus and the gospel that gives us and those all around us no matter where we may find ourselves in society today, hope. 
right? So with that in mind, we apologize. Our YouVersion uh, guide is not up today, but you can go to YouVersion if you want to and go to Acts chapter 8. You can also open up to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to be starting in verse 26. Well, prior to our passage, this, the, the church is starting to spread its wings and move beyond the comfortable confines of Jerusalem. Because of this wave of persecution that's hit the church in Jerusalem after Stephen's stoning, many of the first followers are forced into the areas around Jerusalem, particularly in the area of Judea and into the city of Samaria. But they aren't going away quietly. We saw that last week, right? They're they're bringing the good news of Jesus wherever they may end up. And in particular, we're told that a man named Philip who was a newly appointed leader in the church, and Peter and John, apostles in the church, they go to Samaria and they end up baptizing many of the people in the city of Samaria, including this guy, Simon the sorcerer, who we learned about last week. The Samaritans received the Holy Spirit, and the first community outside of Jerusalem, the first church community outside of the city of Jerusalem, is established in Samaria. Now, following all of this, Luke The author of Acts reports this in Acts 8, verse 25. He says, After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. So Peter and John go back to Jerusalem, but Philip goes a different direction, which is where we're going to pick up the story in verse 26. It says this, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south, down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So so Philip, unlike Peter and John, heads in the direction that the angel tells him, this messenger tells him to go, and along the way he meets this Ethiopian eunuch who serves the queen. Now that word eunuch may be foreign to you, it's not a word we use very often, but eunuchs eunuchs were actually fairly commonplace within royal families in the ancient world. They were fully castrated men who were at the service of the female royal party members. The purpose of this was to ensure that whatever heir came from, say, the queen could not be, you know, from the wrong parties, if you catch my drift. No funny business was going to happen in the queen's chambers because her servants were eunuchs. They were unable to be able to create pregnancy within a woman. And so this particular Ethiopian eunuch, the text tells us, He has made the trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. It's likely that the Ethiopian man had heard of the Jewish God and the temple and was drawn to it. And that wasn't uncommon in the first century ancient world. You know, Judaism was this civilized, very attractive religion, especially for those of outsiders. You know, the the gods of the Roman Empire and of Egypt, they they were really you know, difficult to worship. They were after something constantly. They didn't seem to love the people they were serving. But the God of the Jews, there was something different about him. And so it wasn't uncommon for people to travel to Jerusalem 
to hear more about this Jewish God that they had learned about. He was different than the other gods in the ancient world. He seemed to really care for his people, and he wanted what's best for them, and that was attractive to people. And so that said, the Ethiopian would have been likely been made aware that he could, once he got to Jerusalem, he'd been made aware, look, you can be here, but you never really could become part of this Jew- Jewish community because of your status in society. I mean, he would have been deemed unclean because of his castration and sent away with the opportunity, without the opportunity to enter into the inner courts of the temple. But it doesn't seem to stop the Ethiopian eunuch from his curiosity about the Jewish God. There's something about the God of the Bible as he reads the book of Isaiah that is attractive to him. Even though he's likely said, you cannot be a part of this worshiping community in Jerusalem, there's something about what he's reading in the book of Isaiah that keeps drawing him in. His visit to Jerusalem has left him wanting to know God more. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself? Or someone else. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now one of the clues that we have that the Ethiopian was rejected when he went to Jerusalem is that as he's reading this, Philip comes alongside the carriage and he's like, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless somebody tells me what it means? Which sort of signifies that he was in Jerusalem asking people, will you please tell me what this means? But because of his station in life, because of his position in society, most people, or all people, rejected him, except for Philip. The Ethiopian man has acquired these Old Testament scriptures somewhere along the way, and as he's reading Isaiah 53, he's drawn to it, but he doesn't quite understand what is going. He's sort of stumped by what he's reading. The Ethiopian is reading one of the more famous passages in all of Isaiah. Uh, usually around Easter, we, we refer back to Isaiah 53 quite a bit. The text refers to this future hope that the Jews had while they are facing certain overtaking by the Babylonians. And while the nation of Judah at the time of Isaiah would eventually experience exile, It was passages like this one that they held tightly to, passages like Isaiah 53 that promised the suffering servant and king who would come again and set things right. They kept referring back to it all throughout their history, especially during the time of the Roman Empire. And Philip knows this promise. This is not foreign to him. He knows the Old Testament scriptures, and he knows that it has now been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. When the Ethiopian reads that text, he's like, oh, I know what you're talking about. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus, he would go on to tell him, is the sheep that was led to the slaughter. 
Jesus was humiliated and received no justice. Jesus' life was taken from earth. And he explains to the Ethiopian man that Jesus did it all for the salvation of all people, Jew and Gentile alike, even for a man on the fringes of society like the Ethiopian eunuch. The good news Philip tells the Ethiopian is that because, is that though he were unwelcome in the Jewish faith of the Old Testament because of Jesus, this man, this Ethiopian man, is now welcome into the family of God because of Jesus. Regardless of his position in society, the Ethiopian eunuch is invited into a life-saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you can only imagine the excitement as the light bulbs start to go on in this man's mind. He had just been to Jerusalem, drawn by the God of the Bible, but then rejected by the Jewish community because of his station in life. And now, because of Jesus, as Philip tells him this story, all of that took a backseat to God's eternal love for him and what Jesus did on behalf of the cross. So the man responds in verse 36. He says, they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water, why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Very precarious happening. Doesn't happen anywhere else, at least not in the New Testament, in that manner. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. No hesitation on the Ethiopian's part here. He hears the good news. He reads Isaiah 53. Philip connects the dots for him, and his mind is blown, and Jesus becomes so real to him that nothing could stop him from receiving the fullness of a new relationship with Jesus through baptism. So they stop, and what could only be assumed as a pond or a lake or a large puddle, I don't know what exactly that is, and he asked Philip, baptize me, which is a commandment of Jesus, right, to be lowered into the water as a signal of I am dying to this life that I've once lived, an outsider in God's family, and raised up out of the water again, that now I am a member of God's family, no matter who I am or no matter the station of my life, because of what Jesus has done for me. And then the text tells us he went on his way rejoicing. He was a new person, right? Where once he was an outcast in society, destined to serve his queen and live a fairly mundane, meaningless life in the shadows of society, he has now been given this eternal hope of becoming a child of God. He's been forgiven, redeemed, made through through the good new, through the good news of Jesus. You know, it makes me wonder how many in this room or watching online wonder if they're ever good enough to be part of the family of God. The Ethiopian man went on a search for the God of the Bible and, and he was rejected by the community who claimed him as their own. And yet, despite that rejection, 
he, he could help but he couldn't help but be drawn towards the one Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 53. And because of Philip, he was able to connect the dots between that passage and Jesus. And he realized, listen, just because this is my station in life, just because I might be considered on the fringes of society by everybody else, Jesus doesn't seem to care about any of that. He invites me into his family regardless. And so many of us have experienced the rejection of society, haven't we? I mean, you can feel like you end up on the fringes of society for all sorts of reasons. Maybe you don't make a lot of money, or maybe you grew up poor. Maybe you don't have a degree or a higher education degree. Maybe you work in the service industry or an entry-level job. Maybe you're a woman in a male-dominated workplace. Maybe you feel like you've been on the fringes because of the color of your skin. Maybe you're a middle or high schooler who doesn't fit the mold of all the other cool kids. I mean, society has this really disastrous way of pushing people to the fringes for all sorts of reasons. And if Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40 tells us anything, it is this, that the gospel is for those on the fringes. It goes all the way to the edges. In fact, historically, the gospel message has taken off in communities of people on the fringes. The gospel takes root more often than not among those who are considered the outcasts and the marginalized of society than those who consider themselves at the center of it. The gospel came for those on the fringes. So, so if you've walked in here feeling rejected or as though you've been pushed aside in society, or you, man, you're in the right place. This is home to us. The good news of Jesus is for you. After all, Jesus, Jesus himself was on the fringes of society. He was considered an outcast. He was marginalized. He was rejected and pushed aside, so much so that he hung on a cross for it. And yet the message transcended all of it to include those who feel unworthy, rejected, and cast aside. You know, historians believe that the deeply rooted Christian faith in Ethiopia began with this man in Acts chapter 8. We're told he goes away rejoicing. This can only signify he tells others about the same news he heard. It would spread like wildfire in the region to the point that by the 4th century, Ethiopia would adopt Christianity as their religion within their nation. And it all started with a curious eunuch on the fringes of society. It wasn't the queen. It was her servant, a marginalized man, overlooked by everyone, rejected by the Jewish community, cast aside to serve the kingdom at all costs. You know, I'm thinking back to my time in Ethiopia on Palm Sunday, and I can't, can't help but be grateful for the story of Philip and the eunuch God's kingdom was pushed beyond the boundaries of normalcy that day. And thousands of years later, young Ethiopian women, who also within their society are on the fringes, are still singing the good news of Jesus. 
So here's my challenge to you this morning. First off, if you find yourself on the fringes of society for any reason at all, I want you to grab hold of the gospel, maybe for the first time. Like he did for the Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus came for you. The good news about him is for you. It goes to the furthest edges and fringes of society to bring hope and new life to those who live in the shadows. Jesus lived and died and rose again for those who are rejected and on the edges of society. So receive the good news. He came for you. Even though everybody else may push you aside and marginalize you and push you to the fringes, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and you'll be invited into my family. Second, for those of you, or I should say those of us who find ourselves more on the center of society, let us not forget that the gospel is for those on the fringes. The poor, the outcast, the marginalized, the overlooked. The gospel is intended to reach them. So, so I say to you, and I listen, I consider myself, for the most part, at the center of our society. I, I have a pretty good, I really do. And yeah, okay, fine. I mean, like, I follow Jesus, and so sometimes that puts me on the fringes. But really, I find myself at the center of society. And, you know, this week as I was walking around with this message in my mind, I just couldn't help but be reminded that the gospel is for those on the fringes. I was driving down Thunderbird Road uh, on Monday, or excuse me, on Tuesday, and um, there's a homeless man laying on the sidewalk on the frontage road between, like, the 51 and 40th Street. And I know him. I know him. Well, you've, as a church, we've tried to help him, and I've gotten to know him personally. And um, he's been in rehab. The last I'd heard, he'd been in rehab. And so when I saw him, I was kind of shocked. And I went and I got my coffee at Starbucks. Yeah, you know, because I have the money to do that. And as I was driving back, I just was like, the gospel... The gospel has to be for him if it's for me. And so I actually stopped and I, you know, I talked with him and I prayed with him and I tried to help him and he didn't really take help, but that's okay. It, it was just a stark reminder to me that, listen, we, we, if we are the people of Jesus carrying the gospel into the world, well, then we cannot ignore those who are on the fringes. And shame on us if we do. Jesus didn't ignore those on the fringes. They were the ones he went to first. Who was at the center of society in first century Jerusalem when Jesus was alive? Who was it? It wasn't the poor and the marginalized. It was the religious. And Jesus goes to the edges of society to bring the good news to those who'd been rejected. And listen, church, if we want to fulfill the commission of the gospel to go into the world and be witnesses to the ends of the earth, then we must do the same as well. So if you're on the fringes of society, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. 
always. And if we find ourselves at the center of society, may we go this week. And as we walk through our workplaces and through our grocery stores and we drive down the streets, may we notice those who are on the fringes of our society and may we be challenged by the Holy Spirit to do something about it. It says often in the New Testament that Jesus, when he was out and about, he would look at people with compassion. It doesn't say he looked at them with sympathy. It says he looked at them with compassion, which is sympathy or empathy plus action. And when he does it, he actually goes about doing something. Listen, I get it. This is as challenging for me as it must be for you. But we need this challenge this is, this is what the book of Acts is doing. It is going from the center of Jewish society and it is going to the ends of the earth, to the fringes of society. And listen, when we get to chapter nine and we get to Saul, who later is called Paul, nobody goes to the fringes like Paul does. We're called to be those people who see and love and bring hope to the marginalized and the oppressed and those on the fringes. That's my challenge to you today. It's my challenge to myself, you know, to not overlook them, to look them in the eye, to give them a smile, to give them some help, to invite them to be a part of the conversation. I mean, who knows? You may just very well be the Philip they need on that day. So whatever you do, do not forget this week that the gospel is for those on the fringes. God said, I'm going to leave the 99, those who are at the center, to go get the one. I'm going to the edges, wherever they might be, to find those who desperately need my hope, my care, and my love. Let's pray. God, thank you for the way in which, no matter who we are, no matter if we're at the center of society, no matter if we're at the fringes of society, you've come for all of us. But God, it is so evident in the scriptures, especially in the book of Acts, that your mission was to go to the very edges of society, to reach those that nobody else wants, to reach those that everybody has rejected, that everybody has marginalized, that everybody's pushed into the shadows. And to think that you would use Philip, just this guy who got a part of this community, who was appointed to be this leader, to have a conversation with an Ethiopian eunuch who really just lived in the shadows of the queen, just at her service, no prospects of a family, no prospects of a, a life outside of serving the royal family in Ethiopia, that you would use these two people to turn an entire nation upside down for the kingdom of God to know that there are men, women, and children all throughout Ethiopia and beyond who worship you because the gospel went to the fringes of society. And I pray, God, that it wouldn't stop with us, that we would be people who bring the gospel to the fringes of society in our own right. And so this week, God, I pray that you would, by your spirit, give us eyes to see, that our hearts would be open that we would forget about the inconvenience that comes with sometimes having to just take notice of those who might be on the fringes. And that if we're here this morning and we feel like, man, 
I am, one, I am the Ethiopian eunuch in this story. I've been outcast. I've been marginalized. You, right now, by your spirit, would call them into a new relationship with you through Jesus Christ. That they would know they are loved and that there is hope in you. Jesus, we thank you ultimately for coming for us. You came to this earth as a human to walk among us, to see us, to see our struggle, to see our hurt, to see our pain, to see our suffering, to live it yourself, and then to go as a marginalized, oppressed, suffering man to hang on a cross, to give us the hope of the forgiveness of sins, to raise again three days later that we might have the hope of an eternal relationship with you that starts today and goes on forever and ever and ever. May that same message go with us this week as we walk and we live and we talk and we converse with those around us. May we bring you to the very edges of our society. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, um,